Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Let's read our text and then we'll pray together. Verse 13 says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn freedom into an opportunity for the lust. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. See, Jesus Christ has set every believer free. The believer no longer has to work or work in order to find approval and acceptance in God because a believer is accepted in God all through the work of Jesus Christ. The freedom from sin is really the freedom not to sin. However, there's some critical facts that must be remembered. See, that Christian liberty that we talk about so often is not a license. That is, being free to sin, to do as a person likes. The Christian liberty is being free not to sin. It is being free to overcome our passions and the urges of our flesh. The believer is to be a person who is so conscious of the indwelling Holy Spirit that he's conscious of God's power within him. And he's able, in the power of the Spirit, to purge himself. He's also able to love his neighbor as himself. All in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of the flesh. In contrast, the world today is crying out for liberation, Men, women, children alike are demanding more freedom to do what they please. In the name of personal rights and authority, it's flaunted. Restrictions are resisted. We can't help but be reminded of Judges chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Let me read. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become the priest. And in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's really kind of the theme that we see in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. When you look around today, isn't that what you see? When we look at people and they say right is wrong and wrong is right, there are no moral absolutes. Today is a day of addictions. Not only is alcohol and drugs, but it's also sexual passions and violence and open the door to all kinds of various forms of bondage. This world is caught up in a, a vortex of their passions and they're powerless at this point to escape. Paul writing to Timothy and you and to me told us what the end times are going to look like. It is there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but realize this, the last days are difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and revilers. 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, and brutal haters of good. These things that we just read, this describes our world and increasing every day in every one of those areas. But Jesus speaking said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That was in John 8, 34. See, fallen man is a slave, a slave to a sinful nature. And the more he asserts his self-centered freedom, the more blinded he becomes. It's in the book of Romans describing that God again turns a man over to a reprobate mind, a mind that doesn't work. There's a point of no return when man will no longer be sensitive to the things of God that God says, okay, I'll let you have your way. Well, when a person again asserts his own self-centered freedom and he becomes more blinded, as the days go, that's what's going to happen. See, he's like a spider caught in a web, struggling, but he simply cannot get out. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, that Paul describes the, the teachers, the, the motives of these teachers. He says, but it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in, who sneaked in to spy out the liberty, which have we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring you into bondage. It's been often I've heard people say, oh no, they're not false brethren. That's not false teaching. They're just a little often before I know they're drawn away, drawn into a cult. They have agenda. Sometimes we're very naive to the truth, the truth that would set us free. Galatians 5.1 says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to the yoke of slavery. We need to stand firm in the gospel truth, in the word of God. And when a person comes to us bringing every wind of doctrine, things that are inconsistent, we need to stand firm on what we know is the truth and not subject ourselves to traditions, to rules, the regulations, not adding to grace. Well, you, you'll be saved. It's okay to believe and have faith, but you've got to do the stand firm in the simplicity of the gospel. See, again, it's in John 8, verse 36. So if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. And when we're free, we can stand firm and we can choose not to put on that yoke of slavery. Again, in, in Galatians, the, the primary freedom to which Paul's referring to is it's from being bound to a law, a system of government regulating our, our daily life. That is spiritually which were seen in those Old Testament ceremonies and along with the, notice, rabbinic traditions. Traditions, not the word of God itself. 
the freedom that Paul offered was from the frustrating, the oppressive and condemning legal system, which was really impossible to keep. It is the freedom of knowing that one is accepted by God because of Christ's sufficiency and and not our own. His sinless life was provided for you and me. Remember John the Baptist? In John 1, verse 29, he said, again, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that incredible that John could just recognize, first of all, that he was the Messiah. He was sinless. And the reason he came. See, that's what every believer recognizes, that Jesus Christ is that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he came to set us free. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think for a second. When Jesus came to John the Baptist and Jesus wanted to be baptized. Now, John was teaching, again, the baptism of repentance They were teaching the sinfulness and people needed to be washed and he was the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus to hear that good news. See, there is no good news until a person knows they're a sinner and they're hopelessly headed to hell. Then the good news is good. But we must ask the question, if if John was preaching, again, the need for repentance, and then he was baptizing people, and it was the baptism of repentance, why did Jesus need to be baptized? If he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he was sinless, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he did not sin, why did he need to be baptized? It was to fulfill righteousness but that he would identify with sinful man. He identified with our sins, and when he went to the cross, all of our sins were imputed to him. Judgment was laid upon him for three hours. His death, well, he was the Lamb of God. He covered our sins. In fact, Colossians 2, 13 and 14 adds to this. When you were dead in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. And having forgiven us all of our transgressions and having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, referring to the law, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Peter chapter 3 adds a little more to it. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that we might 
bring us to God in having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, his resurrection was proof of the acceptance of that sacrifice. The merit, rather than knowing that one's insufficient, but the merit is enough to please God. God was pleased that he died for you and me. Jesus declared in John 11, verse 25, and Jesus said to the woman there, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. He's declaring he is the resurrection. He is the life. It's believing in him. It's resting in him. It's trusting in him. Being found in him, we have this new freedom. It is the freedom of a total cleansing that even the most godly Old Testament saints never really understood. That freedom, see, to a person who has really been born again, who reads and understands the scripture, their consciences are clear and washed. And that never happened to any of the Old Testament saints. But you can know that you're white as snow, accepted in the beloved. They, referring to those Old Testament saints, knew they could not totally ever satisfy God's demands of the law because of the rituals and the ceremonies. This is why he set you and me free. Listen to Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your passion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So for the Christian, to su- submit to these Old Testament rituals and regulations and circumcision, it's, it's to go back into this spiritual bondage. Because you and I know that we have that acceptance. We can boldly go to that throne of grace. I like what Galatians 4.9 says. But now that you've come to know God and rather be known by God, how is it you turn back again to these weak and worthless elementary things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? What a reminder. All I need to do is come to Jesus just as I am. Confess my sins, my need of him, and what he's done for me and I can be washed as white as snow. See, God is called to this glorious spiritual freedom, and it's for everyone who simply trusts in his Son. We simply need to come like a child. 
Look with me in verse 13. It's in that second part of that verse. Only do not turn the freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. See, it's that call to freedom that helps me oppose the flesh. Paul is warning. It's to the believers who are being tempted to abuse their Christian liberty. And he makes it clear that freedom of the gospel is not tolerance of self-indulgence. It's not the means for satisfying the desire of the flesh, but it's opposing them. In this context, the word flesh doesn't mean a physical body, but it's more of a sinful inclination of fallen mankind. It's what we call the old nature, whose chief desire is having its own way, satisfying its own sinful appetites. Christ doesn't give freedom to believers just so they can do what they want. But in contrast, they can, for the first time, do what God wants them to do all because they love him. First Peter 2.16, listen, it says, Act as free men. Do not use your freedom in coveting for evil, but use it as bond slaves. See, the idea is we have a choice. He says, do not use this freedom as a covering for evil. You can choose to live a life in the Spirit or live a life in the flesh. Under the cloak of Christian liberty, some professed Christians claim that they're free to get drunk. Yet the Bible warns those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. And the scripture says, be not drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. See, God doesn't want us to be under the control, the influence of something other than him. Again, under the the cloak of Christian liberty, some feed their minds with filthy books and magazines and immoral movies and live almost an unrestrained self-indulgences in this life. But that's not Christian liberty. Let me read 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 through 23. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those without a law, as without a law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul says, he was under the law of Christ. What is that law of Christ? The law of Christ, or in James we'll talk about the royal law, is the law of love. Love was his motivation to reach people. Love was his motivation not to sin. He knew he had perfect favor with God. 
See, we should never justify our sin. May it never, may ever be aware of the sinfulness of sins. Although a true believer may fall into a serious sin and is renewed, is conscious, Christ's own dwelling spirit will not allow him to enjoy it for long. Teaching Christian freedom as an opportunity for the flesh is, is really a lure of many of the most popular false teachers today. They're mimicking the world's popular philosophy. They often claim a believer is free by Christ to express himself virtually any way he wants to as long as it seems right to him. These men are false shepherds. What they're doing is wanting to bring the flesh, the world, into the church. Notice Peter's strong words in 2 Peter 2, 18 through 21. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in the air, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is to overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they escape the defilements of this world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and are overcome, and the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them not to know in the way of righteousness than having known it and turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. So often you see people make a profession of faith, but they really never move on in that faith. In fact, what they do is like this. They move back into the world like a dog returning to its vomit. They've known the truth. They've been enlightened in their mind. In their mind, they understand the gospel, but they never really surrender to Christ. They've never reached out and drawn from God that power that he's wanted to set them free. They've never really trusted and rested in him. Jude 1.4 says this, for certain men or persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before marked out for condemnation. They were ungodly persons and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look at Romans 15 with me, verse 1 through 3. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but is written, The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. We may know people that are struggling in certain ways. We are to bear them. We are to lift them up. Our love is to, to cover their sins and not talk about it and come along and disciple them, not to condone, but open the word with them, pray with them, pray for them. Make the disciples that God has called us to do. Help them learn what it means to stand 
firm in the calling that God is offering to them. Look again in verse 13. But through love, serve one another. See, this is what freedom does. It helps me serve one another. As a pastor, I'm not over you. It's simply the office that God has called me to. I'm really your servant. Sadly, everyone wants a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ first. I'm here to serve you as I, I love you. Bring the word to you, that I speak to you, I, I go to you in those difficult times. I sit and weep with those who are weeping, and I build you up in the most holy word of God. See, this freedom is to take believers even higher level. It's more than just opposing the flesh. Christ frees his followers through love to serve one another. And that freedom is always found in love serving one another. See, the person who really understands that love of God will be serving someone in some capacity. And it's usually not just someone, it's usually many. Sometimes in the, the church body and in small ways and big ways, and sometimes it's in the community, and sometimes it's in life care and the hospitals and in their workplaces. But they have this heart of Christ in them because his love has been manifested in him. Paul talks about that to the Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in a form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking a form of bondservant, being in the likeness of men. See, a person who understands this love and serves one lays aside whatever rights he has. He esteems truly others higher than himself. He walks as Christ walks. That's his desire. That's his goal and each day he's more and more like Christ. And wherever he goes, he brings that fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ that's pleasing to the Father. Can you imagine if a person or everyone in this church, everyone in this community loved others as much as they love themselves? You know, there would be no need for law in this community he would be living and doing exactly what he should. Notice love is, is based upon, really, on, on 1 Corinthians 13. That tells us what love looks like. It's there that love suffereth long, or endures long, and love is patient. Love is kind. Love envies, and it's not jealous. Love wants and not itself. It doesn't brag, doesn't boast. Love's not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly or unbecomingly or rudely. Love seeks not its own. It's not selfish or self-seeking. Does does not insist on its own right or way. Love is not easily provoked. 
It's not touchy or angry or fretful or resentful. Love thinks of no evil. It harbors and plans no evil thoughts, takes no account of wrong that's done. It chooses not to remember. Love rejoices not in iniquity, wrong, sin, evil, injustice, but rejoices in the truth, in justice and righteousness. Love bears all things. Love believes all things or exercises faith in everything and is ready to believe the best in everyone. Let me read that again. Is ready to believe the best in everyone. Love believes all things and is not negatively thinking, well, he's never going to get it. She's never going to get it. They're never going to change. That's not love. Love hopes for all things, keeps up that hope in everything and under all circumstances. There's still hope for our family, for our brothers, sisters, friends that have never received Jesus. As long as they're alive, there is hope. We need to pray. We need to trust. We need to believe. See, love endures all things. That's without weakening. It gives power to endure. Look at verse 14 with me. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. That statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the call to freedom helps me fulfill God's law and it's through love. Paul next explains, Christ's freedom is not a license to ignore God's, again, desire for our holies, but rather that opportunity to fulfill it. Again, when Jesus was asked, which was the, the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. See, God always calls his people to serve and obey because they love him. Let me take you back to the book of Exodus, Exodus 21, verses 2 through 6. Notice what it says. If you buy a Hebrew slave and he serves you for six years, but on that seventh year he shall go free as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go alone. If he is a husband of wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to his master and he shall go alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love you, my master, and my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then the master shall bring him to God and then he shall bring him to the door and the doorpost. His master shall pierce his ear with an awe and he shall serve him permanently. This is what we call a bond slave. A bond slave is the one that says, you have been better to me 
than all of life has been. And why would I ever want to leave? See, this is what it is true for you and me. We are bond slaves, slaves of choice. We serve our master that wants the best for us, that loves us with an everlasting love, that will never leave us or forsake us. He empowers us and he guides us. And he's given himself for you and me. See, the purpose of Christian freedom is for believers to do exactly as the Hebrew slave who permanently surrendered his freedom to the master he loved. That's what we do. We surrender our lives to the one who gave his life for us. They willingly give up their freedom to serve themselves, a freedom to serve their sinful flesh in order to become slaves of God, slaves of choice. They do it willingly and joyfully. Let me read Romans 6, verse 22. I'm going to read the Amplified in this case. But now since you have been set free from sin and you become slaves to God, you have your present reward in holiness and its end is eternal life. True liberty lovingly produces a self-control in seen in the service of others and the obedience to God. Look down at verse 15 again. We notice that the call of freedom helps us avoid harming others. Wow, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. See, if we're loving people, we will not be biting and devouring. Paul's reemphasizing the need for Christians to use that freedom to serve one another. And it's here that Paul stresses the negative side of that truth. If believers do not love and serve one another, they become destructive. They bite. They devour one another. And these two words speak of wild animals engaged in a fury in a, in a deadly struggle. Look on the screen with me in Romans 14. You'll see it up there. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. See, we are to love one another. Love does not condemn. I love Romans 8, verse 1. For there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If Christ doesn't condemn us, we should not condemn anyone else. Galatians 5, 6 is for in Christ. Nor circumcision means anything but faith working through love. See, a person's born again. His faith is always seen working through love. 
You cannot say you love someone and then not do something and demonstrate that love. Christ demonstrated that love while we were yet sinners. He died upon the cross because he loved us. Look with me again, chapter 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn this freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's when we love and serve one another, then we'll see the body of Christ will not bite, will not devour one another, and they will not be consumed by one another. And we will see the body of Christ growing and maturing, just as the scripture says, they will know you by your love for one another. The world will recognize something about us. So we're called to freedom. The freedom of love that walks the bridge over legalism and license. To serve God and to serve one another. Lord, thank you for demonstrating your own love, showing us what love looks like and how we are to live that life. Lord, we want to walk in that freedom and we want to love just like you do. And all God's people said, Amen.